0: All right, so today I have Chris Morgan on the line, and he's the VP and Senior Investment Strategist at First American Bank. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. So I'm excited to get more into what you're doing over at uh, First American Bank and how you're helping your clients. But before we do that, let's get a little bit more into your background. So how did you get started in your career and in business?
1: Sure. So it started at a pretty young age. I think it was about 14 or 15. And my father had the foresight to put aside five grand in one of his trading accounts that he let me play around with at that time. And it really uh, sparked a passion of mine for, for the markets. Every day is completely different. And it was just fascinating to me to see how the, the markets traded and evolved over time. So so my, my passion for the markets is kind of Uh, steered me through various sub-industry groups within the financial industry. I've been uh, a private equity intern. I've I've performed real estate research as a proprietary trader uh, of individual equities. I provided uh, buy-side research on equities and fixed income and managers um, at Wells Fargo. I was a sell-side equity research analyst covering utility stocks at Macquarie, and now I'm over at First American Bank um, where – Uh, Again, I'm the the VP Senior Investment Strategist there, uh, and I can get into more detail on that later on in in our discussion, but that's kind of the genesis of how I got to be where
0: I am today. That's awesome. And, um, you know, there's some there's some younger listeners, let's say, that are just um, that are just kind of getting started or maybe they're they're considering that that finance path. Maybe they're a couple of years out of high school or out of college, excuse me, and they're thinking about it. What kind of advice would you give to that person that's really inquisitive and, and specifically, I mean, on the analytical side, because that's where you're working and you've worked most of your career?
1: Exactly. So. Traditionally, an analyst, as as you probably are aware, uh, were, were qualitative in nature. They would analyze financial statements. They would uh, speak to management teams in terms of uh, participating in conference calls, things of that nature. Those type of analysts will always need to exist, in my view but a very small fraction of what we have today so so the cfa institute actually had a panel where they discussed the analyst of the future and what i would say is someone who's starting out in the industry brand new in their careers out of college would be that specifically to learn python so so in this panel they discussed how python is a programming language that is uh, most relevant and applicable to the financial industry and the analysts of the future will essentially be uh, you know proficient in coding but also able to uh, analyze and interpret and utilize various quantitative uh, uh, algorithmic technologies as it relates to uh, distilling data and, and converting that into information and research. So things like web scraping, you, rather than having humans try to scour the web for various pieces of data that relate to companies they cover, now there's algorithms and programs that can pull that from various uh, websites across the Internet um, automatically and, and that's a lot more powerful as i'm sure you can imagine, so yes, there will still be the traditional qualitative analyst uh, for forever you need a certain number of those, but it, it'll probably be a tiny fraction of what it is today. the remainder um, kind of going more into the quantitative space uh so so programming can be can be very powerful, and what you're seeing in the industry now is. People with an engineering background or a mathematics background, computer science background, really flourishing in the analytical role. And uh, I can attest that uh, some of my peers at, when I was at Macquarie on the self-site equity research side, the ones who are the most successful at finding lucrative jobs on buy side analyst roles uh, had Python on their resume. And that's not a skill set that I personally have, and I've kind of moved a little bit over towards the investment strategist side in in wealth management at First American. But if you you want to be an analyst, I would definitely say that's the most forward-looking skill set you can have.
0: No, I couldn't agree more, and I think that a lot of that started with well, it was hedge funds and thinking about um, what kind of thought that they needed, you know, their analysts to become software engineers really at the end of the day to a certain extent um, over time. So, no, I think you hit the nail over the head with that one. Um, let's uh, let's switch it up a bit, uh, Chris. Let's get a little bit more into what you're doing um, over at First American Bank as a senior investment strategist and VP. Um, so, so, what kind of things do you work on in a day-to-day?
1: Sure. So our assets are a combination of actively managed mutual funds and, and separately managed accounts on which I do research. So ongoing monitoring, uh, as well as looking at prospective changes in terms of various managers that we have. We also have uh, an internal strategy where we pick individual stocks and bonds. So I am constantly monitoring the, the managers and the individual positions, uh, making investment decisions in, in that regard as to which which holdings we're going to keep versus transition into or out of, Um, run that through the approval process internally once I make my investment decisions, and then communicate the the messaging behind those decisions uh, to the advisors on our team. So so it's a little bit more top-down as opposed to Macquarie where it was purely individual stock selection. Um, But either way, I think it's fascinating in the role that I'm in currently because uh, as you're probably aware, we're we're approaching a, a wealth transfer that's going to be pretty large, genera- generationally, with baby boomers retiring and whatnot, passing that wealth down to millennials. And, and there's, uh, it's, it, I think, there's a lot of secular growth on the wealth management side of the industry as well. So that kind of segues into what I was discussing earlier, where if you want to be on the analytical side of the business, definitely emphasize Python and and, uh, and programming languages if you want to be on the, the buy side or the investment management side of the business, uh, if you uh, are in, in a role like what I have, you know, that that that, that works. Another possibility would be if, if you wanted to go out and start your own hedge fund. Uh, the, the, I am acquiring our, our clients were oftentimes successful hedge fund founders and it, it's fascinating to listen to them as to how they got started out. In many cases, they would start out with with family money they have some family members who some of whom were were wealthy and that certainly accelerated the growth of their their startup hedge funds but in other cases just cobbling together small seed capital from family members or 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 close family friends and and that was kind of the genesis of of their success as well in starting a hedge fund and it seemed to me that you know no matter what you're doing the the success rate of a startup is pretty low right i mean for financial advisors for example i've heard statistics like 90% fail. So if you want to be in the the 10% that's successful, you're really going to have to do something different. And that, you know, my observation in many cases, that means that there's actually, I went to the University of Miami, and there was a poster in the career center that said entrepreneurs are people who want to uh, work 100 hours a week so they don't have to work 40. (laughs) And I I always thought I was kind of yeah I always thought that was kind of comical, but but it's true if you if you look at the ten percent who are successful, I mean they devote their life to to the passion of of their their work and uh it definitely shows when 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 individuals are willing to take on that level of commitment
0: no that's awesome um is there and I'm just curious in your end how this affects a bank of your size and and in your day to day how any trends in fintech that you care to comment on
1: so On the traditional banking side of our business, so so our our bank has the traditional banking side where they take in deposits and and do loans, you know, commercially as well as uh, retail, uh, you know, traditional mortgage loans. But I'm on the wealth management side of the business. What I would say in terms of your question would relate more to the traditional banking side where there's, of course, an ongoing debate about online lending platforms and what segments of the market can – have an electronic match between buyer and seller and, and cut out the intermediary. And I would say uh, what I've heard from, from coworkers of mine and folks in the industry is that that can be more applicable to transaction-based lending. So on the real estate side, it's more common that uh, a borrower, who a, a real estate developer uh, just wants to do a transaction and they'll take the lowest rate they can get for the amount of capital that they require. Um, on, on the C&I, on the, on the commercial and industrial side of the business, the in small manufacturing company is really looking for a relationship. So they want a bank that they can trust uh, that will not bail on them when times get sour in an economic downturn. And that's more of a trust and people-oriented business in my view. So certain segments of the market, I think, are more prone to competition from on uh, online-based uh, lending platforms versus others you know you've also seen headlines uh I, I don't recall the details of it exactly but th- there've been cases of using blockchain technology to uh match buyer and seller between real estate developers uh for commercial for multifamily in New York City and uh, and buyers and in one case they're able to to do that to fill up a high rise multifamily without um without human investment bankers involved, which was which was fascinating and, you know, may have spooked some on Wall Street, but I'm not enough of an expert to say, you know, how quickly that will really take off, but but certainly interesting to watch and monitor.
0: No, that's awesome. So, Chris, if somebody's listening to this and if they want more information on uh, First American Bank or to um, connect with you, what's the best way for them to do it?
1: So the best way to reach me would be my LinkedIn profile. You can find me at my at my name, Chris Morgan. Uh, and there are several Chris Morgans, of course, but I'm the one, of course, at First American Bank. So just connect with me, drop me a, drop me a message, and and we'll definitely be
0: in touch. That's awesome. Well, hey Chris, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing more about your background and also the great work you're doing over at uh, First American Bank. And uh, to the audience, as always, I hope you got a lot of value out of this. If you did, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave me a review, do all those great things we do to support our podcasters. I really do appreciate it. And uh, Chris, thanks again for coming on the show.